everyone. I'm Josh. And I'm Kevin. And this is the Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry podcast. On this episode, we're going to have Zachary Ramos on. Um, he works in the art department, primarily a art department coordinator, but also production designer, and I would say maybe lead man, art director at times, um, but primarily a coordinator and designer. Um, I think he's going to have a lot of cool stuff to say. And his experience level, uh, especially in uh, 2019, has grown substantially, so I'm, uh, I'm pretty interested to see, or hear, rather, uh, some of the projects he's been on. Yeah, we've kind of grown together, you know, and we're all kind of union now as well, and um, really kind of come up in the industry together. I went to film school with Zach. Um, Zach worked on my fe- uh, thesis film. So there's a lot of history there. Um, he's a great guy, really fun dude. So hopefully you guys enjoy the podcast and get a little bit out of it, a little bit of knowledge for when you're dealing with uh, nippity uh, art directors and designers and stuff, kind of help you know how to navigate the waters of art department. All right, Zach. So uh, thank you for joining us today uh, on this uh, lovely, lovely Florida winter day. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good if we never have to get together this early again. Yeah. <laughs> this is early? <laughs> for me. Well, when you have a five-month-old I have a two-year-old, so I, I you, mean, you feel it too. I, but I do. I mean, I, I'm just 32, and I hate waking up this early. <laughs> I chose this. Unless, Andrew, it's a, unless it's a call time. Yeah, I chose this industry for a reason. <laughs> Yeah, for the night shoots. Exactly. Yeah, the the, the night, overnights. Yeah, the overnight that you just had last week. You were probably in heaven. Oh, I loved you're, it. You were bouncing off the walls, and everyone else is like you know, dragging their feet, and you're you have energy for days. I love it. I love it. That's what I love about this industry is uh, between a list AMC going golfing on a random Tuesday and stuff like that, and then I don't see the light of day for two months at a time, and then. My time is my time again. It's funny because we are in an industry that, you know, puts you out late and does overnights and stuff like that so much that I feel like I'm still, even though I'm adulting now, at an extension of my college days. Because, you know, I remember when we would literally get home from being at class and stay up till three or four in the morning, just doing either project, video games, whatever it was at that time that you do as a college kid. But you know, that still hasn't really changed, you know? Yes, it has, though, because I vividly remember... Instead a, of uh, instead of games, it's now just kids. Uh, you know, yeah. like, you still got to do family time when you get home. But or, you and I um, had a very memorable moment on uh, Bernie the Dolphin uh, on an overnight, falling asleep in the middle of an aisleway, and they were putting cookies on us while we were knocked out at 3 a.m. I so don't, see, I don't even remember. I'm gonna have, <laughs> I, I want to have to get that photo. Cause you can tell the difference between who doesn't have a kid and who has a kid on set, because I'm usually the one at 3, 4, in the morning still bouncing around and I see a couple of you just nodding in and out the <laughs> yeah, entire time. Yeah, on, on overnights, if I if I sit down, I'm done. But if I stand up and keep moving and clean the truck, I mean... Are you uh, pretty locked into like a time schedule now? Because of Connor? Yeah. Oh, 100%. You okay. just said something though that I want people to really take away from this podcast or just a note in general. Don't sit down on shoots. And it's not the concept of etiquette and concept of any of that. The moment you sit down, because you've been working for 12, 13 hours, your body's going to lock up on you just like that. It's really hard to get up. You're going to be sore. Your your endorphins, your adrenaline is going to drop lower and stuff. Don't sit down as much as you want to. I'm going to say this. That's kind of as much as I love lunch. That's why I kind of hate it at the same time, especially it's nice to have an hour lunch, yes, but that hour lunch... Like it just, you get into, you get lulled into relaxing, into calming down and you get your belly full and it's just so hard to kick up afterwards. I hate the hour lunch. I've heard from a bunch of people that's doing Netflix stuff that Netflix does this thing to where on some of their shoots, they don't even do an hour meal. They go into, they go into meal penalty on purpose and just let everyone have a walking lunch. And so they never stop production and they just peel, they just, they're willing to pay out the meal penalties, but it keeps them to like a 10, 10 to 12 hour day because Perfect. they're not wasting an hour. I don't know how real that is. That's just what I've heard. So, I mean, if anyone out there has worked on a Netflix gig and can kind of relate to us how accurate that is, or if you like or not, that would be really helpful. But the concept sounds good. I eat, I eat quickly anyway. So that whole other 30 to 40 minutes of just standing around and BSing. It's just time I don't want to deal with. However, in the art department, I will take that hour lunch because for 40 minutes of that hour lunch, I am working. 
So yeah. that's kind of what it ends up being anyways. And that's what it is. I mean, a lot of times on our TSM jobs, we're 20 minutes into our meal, we've kind of finished, and a lot of us just start wandering over to the gear, yeah. and we're talking, but... You know, we're we're making mic, uh, micro adjustments to the camera. You know, Andrew ends up, you know, finding himself fixing something. Josh will uh, organize the cart, and we're still on lunch, but we're and we're just kind of shooting the shit. But we're we're standing and we're doing something, even though it's at a snail's pace. We're not really mm-hmm. moving very fast, but we're we're not sitting there. We're not falling asleep, and and I think that's a. I mean. You you took that you took away from uh, from my just random sentence, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, twelve hours are long, long days. However, you break it down. So the longer we have to be there, the less we want to be there. And even in those twelve-hour days, you don't get to shoot out everything you want to do. So the more time we have to give to the project, we're probably going to give it. Yeah. So I'd like to um, add a little credibility to. Um, your voice because sure. a lot of people may not know who you are and they're just hearing you going um, alright so this is that guy yeah he's in the art department yeah um, I, I do art department why am I not on <laughs> yeah um, which you can be but uh, maybe one day um, can you just um, brag about yourself for 30 seconds tell us some of the projects you've done um, in the last few years I know uh, I know several of them but there's a few that I want to specifically touch on sure I'll, I'll just go back through my entire little quick summary uh from south jersey came down here uh to florida for the university of tampa left i was actually going to go build sets in broadway i got some ties up to new york city right for a paper up there ended up not working in new york city due to the union in school never talking about the union so i came back down to florida josh and i at the time uh, his senior theme, senior thesis project was uh, getting some awards, and I had built a little family down here. Me and him had started doing some projects down here, so I came back down. Fast forward, worked a couple of jobs, worked for Nielsen uh, doing their marketing for a while, worked for Disney doing tech work on the Magic Bands when they were popping off. And then I got a call to get back in the industry full time as a production designer on The Favorite. I ended up taking that and jumping back into the industry. Uh, Florida is a hard place to make it in this, especially in the art department. Uh, during the summer, we get a lot of reality. So I've worked on everything between Celebrity Undercover Boss, anything from E, Oxygen, any of those type of channels. Divas. Total Divas. Uh, I mean, ABC, ESPN, NBC, all the big channels of their reality uh, while then filling in for art department. I ended up doing Bernie the Dolphin with Kevin Sorbo, where we all worked on it together. Then we rolled into Bernie the Dolphin 2. And then in the side projects, I ended up doing the last three Missy Elliott music videos. Uh, Throw It Back. I forget the second one and the third one has yet to be released. I was the lead man on those. I just got back from Georgia doing a $3 million feature with uh, Vanna White producing, Judd Nelson and Brian Bumgardner, Kevin from The Office was in it. Uh, that was a interesting one. I just got back this weekend from doing EDC, uh, 117,000 people in Orlando at an electronic music festival where I was technical directing because uh, Josh has labeled me this at one point, but I have uh, homed the, uh, the moniker, the Zach of all trades, because... Uh, in this industry, while I do an art department, I get some weird-ass jobs, and uh, I enjoy them. Yeah, yeah and you got to take some work when you can get it. Yeah, exactly. I actually met you on a one-take, if you remember this, back in 2016 or 17. I met you on a one-take um, St. Pete Clearwater the, um, the, the outdoor commercial, uh, the, the, the fish, the fish, fish grouper oh, sandwich. That's commercial. where you guys met. That's where we met for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Rigging, rigging lights on the porch. It, that was oh, 2017, man. where um, I almost went down. Um, I almost fell through the roof because the uh, roof wasn't secure, and I was putting a um, a 1200 out there. I walked out there with a combo and on this uh, like overhang. And um, I was like slowly stepping, just kind of double checking my steps, making sure everything was good. We had already kind of done a walkthrough and deemed it secure. Uh, but we there hadn't was, really put that, that much por- weight That out porch, there. though, was pretty uh, rickety, if I remember yeah. correctly. Oh, yeah. yeah. But there was that one spot where I, all of a sudden I put my foot down and um, I was holding the, sta- uh, the combo. Um, so that just extra weight on my shoulders. And I just felt my foot just shift down about three or four inches. And um, I just kind of froze. And it was either you or Andrew that were at the balcony and you kind of looked and you're like, 
you okay? And I looked back and I'm like, I don't think anything should go on this roof anymore. <laughs> just, just felt my, just felt my foot go down just far enough. That I was like, if we put this light up here, we're going, someone's going down. And that was before we went there for the Kevin Smith film, right? Yes. Okay. I think they had done renovations. Okay. Because for the Kevin Smith film, we actually put stuff on top of that roof and it was um, significantly more secure. Yeah, it was a lot different. It's funny you guys say that now. You guys had life experiences, big ones in the past few years between marriage and children and stuff. But are you like me where I have no clue what I have done? My girlfriend just told me we've been together and this is our third Christmas together. And I'm like, how is that possible? You, and then I had to look at my resume of film projects. I was going like, to say, are you using this, projects this? to like... I use projects to guide myself on yeah. what day of the week it is, where, what life experience is, yeah. all this kind of stuff. I, mean, I forget what I've I've I don't kids in marriage is. and I still do that a lot. Oh, just yeah. because the project... I mean... My wife's also in the industry for anyone that doesn't know. She's a costume designer. But I mean, like, so film is, and I, your wife's technically in too. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys own a business together. And um, I think so for both of us, our families are pretty integrated into the industry. And I think when it's that busy, like, it's always going to be the case. Like, we still use film projects to be like, oh, yeah, we were here then and doing this then. And, you know. Yeah, I, I know exactly when uh, Dropity. Uh, occurred because uh, my son was about four months old at the time. So God, he was four months. Yeah, then? yeah, he was about four months old when Dropity occurred, and um, yeah, that's when the you. The, I know exactly project, what you were going through. The project from hell. Yeah. Well, um, and it's to funny too. With. It's funny you say that because it, every project to me, especially the longer shoots, feel like camp. We are adults, uh, especially Dropity. We're staying usually at the same at hotel. hotel. Yeah. You finish up, you go down by the pool, you smoke a couple of cigarettes, have a couple of beers, shoot the shit with everybody, stay up way longer than you should, and then you go back and you do it again, and it's it's adult especially, camp. Especially after you've worked hard to get that 12-hour turnaround. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you wasted five to six hours of it. Oh, my God. Yeah, I did that one time with you guys and was like, nope, I'm going to go adult. And so I, I would hit the hit the hotel, take a shower, and I, I'd be asleep um, within 10 minutes. I, yeah. I was done. I shared a room with Andrew, so it was. Well, yeah. That you know, he, he always stayed in. And he know. was always fixing shit in your hotel room. And yeah. that might be the difference. This, this might be the difference between departments because a lot of times when we work together, you guys are either on the G&E side or the production side. Now, Josh might be able to relate to this, but my mind does not shut off during a production because I'm so worried and petrified about what am I forgetting the next day. Yeah. When I fly... I'm at the airport three hours early just because I have this nervousness of what did I forget? Oh, did I forget an iPhone cord? No shit. I can buy one in New Jersey or wherever I'm flying to at that point. Right. But I'm scared I forgot something when it comes to a production. Oh, that losing an iPhone cord could mean life or death of the scene. Hmm. So the entire time I'm trying to think, oh, what do I have going on? And my mind doesn't let me shut off that much. So. Actually, I really enjoy taking the uh, reality gigs in the meantime because it's something I do not have to think about. I just spent four days watching kids dance around on whatever type of drugs at this concert. And I had a great time because I left, went home, went to bed, came to work the next day, finished it out. Whereas when I am in the art department, it is go, go, go. My mind is a frantic mess of just what did I forget constantly in this perpetual state of what did I forget? So with that said, you you kind of wear um, several hats, and, and especially in the art department, you have kind of gone through different uh, different progression in your career. Um, can you give us some of the roles in the art department and some of the responsibilities, like, you know, art uh, a coordinator? Like yeah, what explain do- it for someone that maybe doesn't know about sure, art Sure, and actually this last project I worked on was even more interesting to find out about this as far as how it pertains to the union and what positions actually have to be there. When you have a production designer who is going to be the overall look of the film, they discuss this look with the director, the DP, they are the ones that create this look. They so, are the overall look. Question on them before you head off of them. Um, sure. Because I've heard things from both. I've been on productions to where they report to them, and then I've got productions where they doesn't. But the costume designer sometimes reports to the production <laughs> designer, and then so, sometimes they don't. That is correct. And the art department is one of those areas where it becomes really gray 
very quickly based on the project and based on who you are working with. We work with one person in particular, and I'll give him a shout out because I love to say his name anytime, is Brandon Hyde. Brandon Hyde's a fantastic DP who loves to deal with art and loves to talk about art and loves to throw in his two cents about art. Sometimes you have a DP that's going to talk about art, and sometimes you have a director that's going to talk about art. Sometimes you don't. Same thing happens with the costume designer. It also depends on who's who puffs their chest out more, I should say, in the sense that the production designer, in theory, should be in talks with hair and makeup, costumes, immediately. Right. They should talk about that. When I did The Favorite, I was in talk with the costumers. It's an MMA movie, so we need to talk about what's their gear, what is everything... What is their robes coming out? What are they wearing? Because all of this has to do with the basic look of the film. Now, as the production designer, I'm going to defer to the costume designer. Tell me what your two cents are. If I'm going to work with Joe, your wife, I want to hear what she has to say. But I do want to collaborate and say, hey, Joe, let's come up with a scheme for maybe this character and let's run through it. Not only maybe... If we well, want to give somebody it's important yellow, that those costumes feel a part of the of of the environment as well, right? So. Correct. And I've noticed times where we've not had that conversation where things do clash, mm-hmm. or you just have this side conversation of, "Oh, what are they wearing?" And somebody has to change something because of a pattern, something of that. So there does need to be this collaboration. And again, this is where now we start to, outside of the production designer, start to get into a really gray area. Because you now then have the art director, who is really the second-hand man of the production designer. You have the coordinator, the art department coordinator, who is the liaisons between the production design team, the art department team, and the production itself. I like it to be the art department coordinator because I almost am the boss of my department as far as what can you really spend. At the end of the day, this is a film business. People aren't making this for entertainment purposes because it costs money to make shit. It's as simple as that. So at the end of the day, you need somebody who looks at the projects and says – it just costs X, Y, Z to do something. Is that reasonable to your project? Is that not reasonable to your project? When I work with a production designer, I beat over their head constantly. Is this the sword you're willing to die on? Is this the money you're willing to spend here? Because if you're going to do that, we need to find out where we're going to get other money from because money is finite. We are getting X, Y, Z from this film. Now, I can go to the project and justify and say, you want us to build this for this scene? Well, that means we're going to lose something from over here. Or as I always like to say, if I tell somebody it takes five people to paint a house in 24 hours and you say, oh, well, I only have the money to pay three people for 12 hours, then I need to tell you what type of project you are actually going to get out of this and the quality. And people don't ever think about this because both of you guys have homes and guess what? You put furniture in there. You have clothing on right now. You've dressed yourself. Two departments, the art department and Costumes are two departments where people think just because I have done this myself, I know how to do this. I know how to put a chair in. I know how to go buy something. I shop for 14 hours a day. Shopping is the worst part of our job usually just because of the time it takes. You know this, Josh, from experience with costuming. It's just a long, long time. And people think, oh, you just randomly grab that from Kmart or Walmart. That's not how it works. There's theories and thought processes behind this. So this is where we start to blur and weird lines cross and people kind of look at the art department. Oh, you must have a 3D printer on there. What lamps do you have on there? You gave me X amount of money. I'm only going to bring you what I've brought you. So we need to have this conversation immediately. Something I always bring up to somebody is let's talk. The holidays are coming up. If we're going to shoot a movie that's based on Christmas and the director says, I want a Christmas tree in that corner. How many times have projects, you know, come to town and they want it to be seasonal and it's nowhere near that season. And that is so fucking difficult. <laughs> it happens to, I'll get a Christmas movie in February where they have taken away all of their, all the stores have taken away everything possible. The only store that I love the most is the Dollar Tree because Dollar Tree always has random holidays all throughout the year. But I always get these jobs right after. I would love to shoot a Christmas movie in November. Yeah, I mean, it it works in a city like L.A. or New York where there are prop and production rental houses. But here, I think it's really important for people to know that here in Tampa, you can tell me about Orlando, Zach, but I know in Tampa, we don't have that. We do not have 
uh, costume rental houses. We do not have prop or production, you know, state rental houses. Try the state of Florida. So we, they don't have it in Orlando either. They barely have anything. I know a lot of the trucks and the other stuff they bring from Atlanta when they need it. So I, I just didn't know if they maybe had any resource houses. And when you get to a point in your budget, it is almost worth it for somebody from Florida to drive a 26-foot truck up. And just get it and come go down. Go to Atlanta. I mean, it is What did you guys do on Kilroy? Just um, so for you guys know, um, all three of us were on a Kevin Smith movie called Kilroy Was Here. So if you hear Kilroy, that's what we're refer- referring to. So we're referring in the moment uh, probably to Vietnam. We shot yeah. some stuff that was based in Vietnam, and we shot it in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, a lot of that stuff we just sourced. And this is something I've run into the past couple of times. I just did a music video for Tyler Yahweh called Who Shot Johnny? And I got a call the day before we were shooting to get the job. So if we shot on a Friday, I got called at 10 a.m. on Thursday. And we were shooting a dilapidated uh, drug house. Seems pretty easy. You need some shitty furniture. The problem is you can't just go get shitty furniture. You want shitty furniture and you say, oh, I'll go to Goodwill. Goodwill has to have a quality before they can flip it. Yeah, they don't put shitty furniture in there. They just throw that out. So the only places are like a Craigslist, OfferUp, Facebook, Marketplace, all those types of places. And that takes time. That takes finding it, making sure that is the right couch that you want, and then also dealing with the human element of, hey, Tom, when are you available so I can come pick this up? Right. People don't understand. There is a timeline, and I try to bash this over people's heads constantly. It takes me two weeks to prep for a shoot. You may not want to pay me the two weeks, but the closer we get to the end of that two weeks, it's going to cost you more and more money daily on how much everything's going to cost, whether it's ship expedited shipping, whether it's just the time to fabricate. It's always the problem. So continuing, I I know I got us off on that tangent, but continuing with the department positions. So again, one thing I I, I started to talk about is my Christmas tree element is during Christmas time. People want to say, I want a Christmas tree in the corner. And you got to talk to the director. What type of Christmas tree? What type of what's on top of the Christmas tree? Because my Christmas tree might be different from yours, Josh, or yours, Kevin, in your mind. My Christmas tree has a star on it. My Christmas tree has colored lights. I can't stand white lights on a Christmas tree. It's a big pet peeve of mine. But in this movie we're shooting, if I show up that day and I got colored lights and I got a star, and the director's like, but that's not the Christmas tree I wanted. How do we know that? How do, We never talked about you wanted white lights and you wanted an angel. People are different. They have something in their mind that they want to see constantly. So it's something of just first getting that thought out of their mind. So going back to the position. Again, you have your coordinator who's kind of your boss of your department with your production designer. Next, you have your set decorator. Your set decorator is going to be the one who designs what the look of the set is going to be with your production designer. Then you have your dressers underneath. That's basically your main. Then you have your scenic who is your painter. You have greensmen because one thing people always forget about is plants make movies pop. Plants are life. Life makes movie pop. It's as simple as that. But those are about your basic list of positions. They're a little interchangeable uh, between the dresser, the designer, between the art director, between the production designer. It all just depends at the end of the day how much budget is there. What are you actually shooting? When we shot Drapati, we had two mansions, 16 rooms to fill. Uh, and these mansions were completely empty, and it was a 1913 Indian, uh, as Bollywood as possible, without a song and dance number. So that was a completely different project than, say, the last movie I shot, which was a 1980s hair metal Christian band film. So each each project presents its different issues. The moment you tell me that you need to do something and it's going to be a period piece, I'm going to tell you it's going to cost you more. Right now, if we shot something, I'd say about 2008 is your cutoff, maybe 2005, because go find iPhones or go find flip phones. Go find something as simple as just technology before 2005, before. Go find a tube TV at this point. There's barely any of them. And if you're going to try to start doing this period stuff, it's going to just start adding up. Yep. In regards to Dropity, because we were all on that job, um, you had an army of, of <laughs> minions running around that mansion. We did. We did. And the, uh, there were several times where, you know, I, I would uh, turn the corner with a uh, pipe or anything, and I'd have um, 
two of your crew members just stop and look and be like, uh, where are you going with that? Because I was about to interfere with them said dressing. So how do you manage a team of what would you have eight? Kevin, seven? Kevin, let me ask you this. You just moved into a house, right? How long did it take you to move into your house? We're still moving. Okay. <laughs> in production design world, we move and decorate in within a day. It's in, it's remarkable seeing when we got there on day one for our set day, and then we show we did all of our pre pro, all of our um, our uh, builds, and we left, came back the next day, and you guys had three rooms built that were not even touched. Had when no we furniture left. in them. I mean, at the end of the day, it's the concept of managing time, understanding just how long it is going to take time. I will I will overestimate. I will always do that because you just I can't underestimate what happens if I lose out on that time. But talk to me through the process. So the 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 mansion that you got that we were in, um, it was Josh. Correct me. Sixteen rooms. What, who it was sixteen it? between the two mansions. Between the two mansions. Yeah. So the 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 one mansion I, I'm referring to was in Howie, Howie, in, the hills. Howie in the Hills. We had um, we talked to all right. What I want to, what I want, my question is talk through the different rooms sure. and how did you coordinate your team to handle all those different rooms shooting there for six days, seven days? Something like that. Okay. So the first thing we had to do was look at the schedule. And this is where the schedule and talking to somebody about the schedule is key. I ran into this issue with the Missy Elliott video and that just became a whole nightmare is because scheduling. If I tell you, to be able to do this and to be able to have the manpower, and again, the cost, we need to shoot this on this day, this on this day, this on another day. We had a full room we were building inside of another room there. So I needed to make sure we could dress one room, then load in that other room to build while we dress another room on the back end. So it's looking at the schedule and just saying, okay, we need scene one to happen before scene two, scene two to happen before scene three. If scene three happens before scene two, arms up in the air we got a problem production needs to understand we just don't have the manpower so first it's looking at the breakdown of what logistically has to flow and telling production we have to stay in this at this point now we are too close we just don't have the time money unless you're going to give us more money then you can do whatever the hell you want money dictates everything so once you have that then we look at okay what do we need to buy a funny thing about your potty is we didn't have enough beds so we were stealing our Airbnb beds almost every other day. I didn't sleep on a bed for like two nights because they were on location because we just ran out of money for bedding. When you have to have 16 rooms and 16 mattresses because we were shooting three to four rooms a day, we're jumping between those rooms. I just, that's a lot of mattresses. It's a crazy concept. And again, because we are in Florida, we don't have the prop shops to get these mattresses for five, 10 bucks. I'm going every night buying a mattress, flipping it the next day, returning it, because I also have three 26-foot trucks full of furniture. So I had kids coming in, in and out every day. Yeah, I, I had always day saw players. You guys always had people moving in and out. It, it was it, crazy. It was remarkable. I mean, we we were helping you at one point, um, one of the grips and I, um, helping one of your guys back up the trailer to, I mean, not trailer, the truck, to not hit the other truck mm -hmm. so that way the third truck could leave because he was boxed in and that was the truck that you guys had loaded and was ready to leave. It was the, it was the, this is why you have teamsters. Yeah. It was, it was the biggest back and forth we, I had ever seen with three 26 foot U-Hauls. I'm looking at this going, how no one got hit or bumped each other was remarkable. And it was like four of us out here going, all right, load well, to the left, load to the left. Because there were people out there paying attention and, and being conscious of that. You know, if you had not had that, someone would have been hit or hurt. You know, but. I do. And I will say I rely heavily on my GNE team. I have you guys. I have Andrew Ortoski. I have a bunch of guys who I trust to help my team who were inexperienced. <coughs> Excuse me. I had one guy who could drive the truck. I could drive the truck at times. That thing's petrifying to drive. We had coordination, like you say, people coming in and out and a left and right, up and down. So using those other departments does help, especially when we were handcuffed by the budget, by what was just being asked of us. That project was a crazy large project just being asked. But, but, it, like, but it came out to look beautiful. 
I mean, but we've t- all seen stills from that in a few um, scenes, and they, the movie just looks phenomenal. And I'll tell you a story rolling into the Missy Elliott video of this is where scheduling does become a problem. The AD in the moment kept saying, oh, the schedule can change any day. The schedule can't change any day because, again, like I said earlier, I need scene one to shoot in this order. I need scene two to shoot in this order because this is how we are prepped. I am building four sets for you. Set four is going to be done on this day. It's not going to be done sooner unless you tell me we need to flip things. And again, now we're going to have to raise the money. So I had an AD telling me every day, oh, don't pay attention to the shooting schedule. So as the coordinator and as the lead man of this job, I was looking at the extras call time to say, oh, the cheerleaders are shooting today. Well, that means we can only be shooting one of two scenes because we were shooting three music videos in a row at the same time. So we can only be shooting one of these two. People don't understand. Piss poor planning produces piss poor production. Good friend once told me that, and it is true. The planning out, especially with the art department on how finite of time we have to get everything just in there. Again, with your potty, like you said, you saw three rooms go up in a matter of a day. Would I have loved to tweak them? Would I have loved to had a few hours just to look at them, step back and say, let me adjust this so everything is great? Yes, I would love to, but we just don't have that. But what happens when someone reaches out to you? So you just get a phone call from a producer. Obviously, the, you know, that all goes from, you know, networking. Let's let's uh, be honest here. Um, but the producer reaches out to you or director reaches out to you and says, hey, I want you to um, art direct this project. Where, where do you start? So the first couple of things, again, it's a business, so we need to talk about the budget. What is the budget one and what's the director's vision? Then from there, it's now coming up with ways to convey that. And sometimes these are ways where I'm going to create a new story within the story. One thing we did for Bernie the Dolphin was you had Kevin Sorbo, who was supposed to be this jerk businessman. We thought it would be fun to add the concept. In, in one of the uh, lines of the script, he talks about knowing karate or something like that. So we said, this is a children's film. Let's make it fun. And let's make this guy a white belt. That he's so proud of his white belt. He's framed his white belt. And he has a photo of him inside of a gi behind his desk with his white belt. Then to take this another step further, when we shot the MMA film, I had access to one of those punching dummies uh, that MMA guys use. So I said, because it's a kid's film and these kids have to sneak around in here, why don't we put this in the corner and I can talk to G&E and I can talk to the DP and maybe we light it so when they turn the corner, oh my God, there's this scary figure there when it happens to be this dummy. So we try to bring in elements of that. So this is where after you've come up with the budget, you've looked at the scheduling and all that kind of stuff, you start to try to add in these other artistic elements whether it's a tone of a, a color tone for a character, that's again where you're, excuse me, talking to the costume group or any of it. All right. Well, we, Josh and I just, uh, <laughs> we, we were both getting ready to talk there and neither of us talked. Um, all right. So follow up with that. So you, you actually go into uh, your production design knowing that you need to talk with other departments. Um, and I know that sounds really trivial and more of a uh, duh moment, but uh, how much is communication key for uh, your department? It's 100% key. I need to know what other departments are doing so we can make sure we're collaborating correctly with them. I need to find out from the lighting team what type of light bulbs do we need? What type of elements do we need from this end to make sure I have? We just shot a period piece the other night. And it was supposed to be during when Salvatore Dali was around. So we needed to make sure we had the correct light bulbs. Uh, I was talking again to the director of photography to find out, what do you want to see in the background? We have so many different elements and so many different ideas that could be back there. Director, what would you like to see back there? So a lot of that is just trying to pick somebody's brain apart. A lot of times it is the director to find out, what do you actually want? One thing I loved working with Kevin Smith was, he gave you exactly what he knew he wanted and then said, show me what you got. That's a, that's exciting for us because now free reigns. I also want somebody at the same time to bring my reins back and tell me I exactly want this because that means you have 
a vision. I don't want limpness in this sense of, oh, well, I want this, but it could be like this, but it, show me what you got. To me, that feels like you don't know what you have going on. And you're expecting me to bail you out of this moment. And yeah. you could fail because it once again, it goes back to the Christmas tree scenario where uh, your Christmas tree has colored lights and a star. But if you just start getting um, half assed statements, uh, you're going to you have you have a higher probability to fail rather yeah. than succeed. Electric Jesus, which I was just on in Columbus, Georgia, we had gone through multiple production designers. The reason we went through, the first production designer didn't understand the way to tell the director no. A lot of times our job is to tell the director no in the best way possible. And I don't tell you no. I say, Kevin, that's such a great idea. But how about this? I got to take you in a different direction. And Kevin, that's a great idea. But you know what? It's going to cost us a little too much. So at this point, Kevin, it's up to you to either go get that money or listen to my other idea and my other suggestion. And, and could some of that be micro adjustments? Just just tiny little things like, once again, we'll go. We we'll use the Christmas tree. Instead of it being colored lights, it's white lights for X reason. What's tiny to you might not be tiny to me. That's, That's the biggest thing right there is if you want a blonde angel on your Christmas tree, That blonde angel might be significant to the story, might be significant to your childhood, and that's what you have to have for this film. So now I have to either lead you. But no, my point was you are asking for a uh, a micro change. So to to you, you know, do you have do you have an example with um, with um, any of the projects that you've been on that, you know, you had to steer them in in a different direction and it it actually was a tiny change visually, but it actually meant a lot to you guys to be able to handle the project. Um, I think a lot of changes always happen just due to cost. Uh, that is always the biggest thing. I know during Missy, we something that <laughs> happened that cost the project a lot, a lot of money was we were shooting a scene where we were going to be inside of this fraternity hall. The very first uh, stills from the project that we got were red cup, solo cups, drug paraphernalia. It's a party scene. We then shoot the director. Hey, here's our mock-ups of what we're thinking. And they say, no, 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 no. We want more of the social network high society. Okay. So we build this set out. We lay furniture inside of this room and there is a spinning floor on the ground. So there's all this working elements and moving parts. We are presenting it, and one of the top choreographers in the world and the director, and this young director walks in onto the set, and the choreographer throws his hands up in the air and says, this can't happen. How are the actors going to dance? And we say, we understand that there might be issues with the dance. However, this is a set. This needs to be look like a party house. Houses have furniture in it. If I take all the furniture out of the center, it's going to look like an empty, barren room. It's as simple as that. It's going to look weird. It's going to look off. We are in the job of make-believe and making magic and making places exist that never existed before. All of my sets are ready the day they shoot and gone the night that they've been shot out. They're not there anymore. So in an issue like this, we did what the director wanted. We did all this kind of stuff. I get a text at 5 in the morning saying they resh- they're scrapping the entire night. Because Missy Elliott said, where's the depth in the room? Where's the furniture? This was an element we put in there. We can work with the choreographer and say, hey, here's what we can move. And here's how we can work with you best. But this is also where you as the choreographer need to understand realism versus logic. So I think this is something I'm going to ask basically everyone that has ever been to film school when they're on this podcast (laughs) is... Did you feel like film school was worth it? And I'm, and I'm going to ask it not because I'm trying to put film school in a bad light, but I kind of want to draw out like from that your experience, where do you think film schools can be better? How can you gain knowledge to people that maybe didn't go to film school about their decision to go or not? You know, that's kind of where I really want that conversation to steer with that question. Sure. Um, so just tell me about your film school experience, you know. I have a couple of thoughts to this. So I came down from South Jersey. I went to a private boarding school in Pennsylvania, and I came down to the University of Tampa. 
I came down to the University of Tampa because private boarding school was like college with a curfew. And I wanted to be in a big city. I wanted to go to concerts. I wanted to just live a little. Uh, at the time, I thought about doing graphic design and realized I was just out of my element. This is not what I really want to do. I first recommend people to look at a movie's credits because people don't know what is a grip. Before you walk into film school, you might have no clue what a grip is. You may have no clue what a any lead man is. A lead man, any of these positions outside of a writer, director, and that's about it. And that was my case with production design. I was the only person in college doing art for all of our films. Uh, college, college is a catch twenty two for me because college. I met you, Josh. Mm -hmm. uh, I met Andrew Ortoski. I've met people that I work with. And I live with on film set and live without on film sets. And the, <clears throat> the oh, what's that word? Networking. The networking is invaluable. You're not going to find another place where you're going to come together with like-minded people at the same age you are that either may love the same movies and the same things and may have the same aspirations and may not. We rolled with a group of five of us when we were younger and – Jack and Lamar, love them to death, aren't a part of this industry anymore. And Jack was doing a lot of sports stuff, and Lamar was doing film. People come and go. So it, it's this weird. I grew my family. However, as far as what school taught me, I think I taught myself against what school taught me. School taught me about some of these other positions. I got my first job because I was splicing 16 and 8 millimeter film. And the only reason I got that was because one day my teacher taught us, showed us what a flatbed was. <laughs> you, you actually had time on a Steinbeck. I know. I had time on a Steinbeck. <clears throat> and at the end of the day, a lot of our jobs were of this generation who had YouTube in college. People have YouTube We now. also went to film school. I think it should be said, you know, obviously we went to film school when there was actually still film in film Correct. school. And so that's why you got trained on a Steinbeck, which probably doesn't happen anymore. And when we were there, like the red one. Was the, just coming was out. Was just coming out. So we were, I mean, we were still using film cameras. But I think a lot of us, myself and Andrew, were shooting everybody's films and I was art doing art for everybody's project. Nobody else just was doing that. Nobody really knew about that. We were taught three-point lighting. We were taught all these things, but we were never taught walkie communication. My favorite thing was my senior year of uh, college, I stopped going to class because I got a job as at first a production designer on this feature. Now the AD brought in his production designer and his, or the DP brought in his production designer and his director or somebody. So I became the props master. The very first day on set, the DP looks at me and is like, hand me that C-47. And I say, shit, what the hell's a C-47? <laughs> so I'm looking around, I'm looking around, I'm like, what is the most interesting piece of hardware I can find because that's got to be a C-47? <laughs> and then I come back and I'm like, I'm sorry, man, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. And he grabs the clothespin from my shirt that was hanging off of my shirt. So I learned... Right then and there, something that school had never taught me, and what, which is one of the most invaluable things on a set. Then he asked me seconds later, grab me that wedge for this dolly track. And I say, oh, shit, if that's a C-47, what the hell is a wedge? It's a piece of block. It's a wedge to open a door. It's as simple as that. That was never taught in school to me. None of these things that were taught from a day-to-day -day knowledge were taught to me. School to me was school. Film theory. I stopped going to class because all we were doing were watching movies and talking about those movies, and, not about how they were made, about the emotion and the depth and all of this kind of and stuff. I, and I would say, too, but in, in defense of some schools, like there are plenty of schools out there that you learn those things at. I think a lot of it was just the school we were going to at the time and the transition that it was going through as well. Um, but I think even in those bigger schools, you know, I think there's a very few selective film schools that you leave with all the knowledge that you kind of leave and you actually leave with mentors and stuff as well. Um, but unfortunately, you know, only so many people get into those schools. You know, you're talking about FSU, you're talking about USC, UCLA, you know, NYU. Um, at, so at the end of the day, school is going to be what you get out of it, what right. you put into what you get out. 
Uh, I had a fantastic, we had a fantastic professor that brought you and me together. Yeah. At the end of the day, as silly as this may sound, you and I have raised money on Kickstarter. We have done projects together. Part of me thinks school may have been meant for you and I to meet right. or for me and Andrew to meet. People that I have worked with that I am trying to make my own projects with that XYZ have brought me here and there. Tom Garrett was a professor of ours who could help you and get some open some doors for you. Now, did he know the three-point lighting system or does he know how to do a C-stand or a combo stand? I'd like to think so, but you know what? He may not, and that's a part of the film industry that needs to be there is that producer is teaching you how to facilitate mm -hmm. all these connections. That was the problem with school is school never showed a credits and said, Here's what all these positions are. You almost have to go out on your own and figure that out and figure out what is your niche. The reason why I became an art department coordinator was because I was doing art in Florida and art in Florida just doesn't pay the bills because, again, when reality would roll through, I've been in the industry for 10 plus years and I'm PA in on reality shows. Why? Because my position does not translate. There is no art in reality, or if there is, they may have one person from New York who sent over the schematics and a bunch of PAs pull that out. Right. Every job that I come on as a production assistant, not tooting my own horn, they look at my resume and either say, shit, we can't hire him because he's going to ask for too much. Or like I said on this EDC, they make me the technical director uh, shooting in the field because they realize, oh, he has this. That's the problem with Florida. If I was in Georgia, job, 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 job. It's why I've moved and have done some stuff. I've joined the union recently, and that was something I wasn't doing. Granted, we are a right-to-work state, so there's this always catch-22, but I started losing jobs because union jobs started finally coming to Florida. And that's you realize there's only so much work, and school will teach you how to get that work, but it's a lot of hustle. My biggest annoyance in school was, L.A. and New York are the places to be. Everybody wants to go there after school. This is where I'm going to make it big. But everybody always says the same thing. It's too expensive there. I can't afford it. What you're not willing to say is I'm not willing to eat ramen every night to make this work. Right. I'm not willing to bust my ass. If you've ever listened to any successful director, any successful person in this industry, they always say the same thing, and I always think about this. I've done something, I've busted my ass, I slept in my car, I maxed out my credit cards, I've done something, I've kicked my ass. Our industry from the outside looks beautiful. Mm -hmm. From the inside, it's a nightmare. We are working 12, 13-hour days. We are missing birthdays. Yeah, everyone funerals. sees the top 25%, which is the red carpet, glitz, and glamour awards, but the rest, 75% of it, is really hard, back-breaking work, long hours, don't see a lot of your family. You know, it's a... Uh, and you don't know that <clears throat> and you don't know that unless you talk to somebody that's in the industry and has done enough work to really tell that to you. And I think a lot of people that want to get in the industry come in with that idea of, well, it happened to me. I'm going to be a director or I'm going to write my own movies and do this. And I, f I feel like that is the majority of people, even people that are trying to get in and get there, you know, that you, you meet people at film festivals or through networking that maybe aren't going to film school. They're a little older or they, and they're just trying to make their own projects. They all still want to be a director or a producer. And I'm like, you know, that's great, but not everyone's going to be that. And there's already a really bad shortage for trained professional workers in film, you know, and we run and I don't know, don't, and I don't know if it's because everyone wants to be the next Martin Scorsese, but I feel like that's a part of it, you know, and people aren't willing to get in and work up, you know, a lot of your, <clears throat> sorry, I don't know what the problem is, a lot of your DPs, they didn't go to film school just to be a DP and then they got lucky to be a DP. They they worked as a gaffer or they worked as a camera operator, came up as an AC or, you know, in Roger Deakins case, he shot documentary films or like public television and stuff like that. You know, there's many different tracks into the industry. And I think you've touched on a lot of it and it did a good job of me trying to get across the people of like, you need to be aware of kind of what you want to do and realize there's more ways to get there and kind of you know, you hit the nail on the head with knowing all the, the crew positions and all the opportunities that are ahead of you to be a part of the industry and to make a really good living without, you know, 
because the, the brutal truth, and I don't think anyone says it enough, is that the, the likelihood that you are the next Spielberg is really low. Do you know who John Barry is? The guy that made the Bond songs, John Barry? No. 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 John Barry is the production designer for the Star Wars films. Yeah. You've seen Star Wars. You think that production design's phenomenal. You believe you're in the Millennium Falcon. You believe you're in Moss Eisley. You're in the Death Star. Nobody knows who he is. You know, like you said, you know who Scorsese is. You know who some of these writers. You know who the actors, Deacons, just because of who he is. Yeah, we resume. know these names. But who's the top grip in the world? Who's the top best boy? Who's yeah, and the I top? I only know them because I'm in the industry. Who's the know? top costumers? Yeah. I mean, even the costumers. I had to look up John Barry's name, and it's no offense to him. I look up to their work, and I have all these screenshots and stuff. But they're not publicized. They're not advertised. And right. It's a problem in our industry of not knowing what you want to do. If you want to be a writer, if you want to be a director, I'm going to tell you right now, go to school for business because you're going to need to learn how to sell and make money for your movie. As far as a director, make your own shit on the side. I didn't learn that much. I have two degrees and a minor. I have a degree in film, a degree in communication, and minor in advertisement from the University of Tampa. I took some art classes on the side. I'm not professionally or classically trained in the art department. I've learned half of this shit on the fly. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't tell you in the industry, half of it is just dealing with people for 13 hours a day. That's the majority of it. That, and being fucking on time and not being an asshole and like willing to work. Your skill is 75% of your job. Somebody would probably hire me over somebody else Dude, if they just don't like that I'd person. I'd even be willing to say that it's 50-50. Like, yeah. I would pick someone that's got a better attitude, and I can teach them how and, to do stuff any day of the fucking week. And common sense. That's yeah. one that um, Josh and I have had uh, several conversations about various crew members um, that they busted their butt, but they didn't have common sense or right. they are, you know, really, really green, but you can just tell like, okay, he has a good head on his shoulders and just, just knew that a sandbag needed to be moved because it was a massive tripping hazard, but yet three other people walked past it. Right. And, you know, common sense, um, to me is one of, on top of a good attitude, one of the main variables I look at when I'm looking at, uh, my peers, um, my superiors and also just other crew members to work, work alongside. Yeah. And I've used the industry to get connections to, with people that I would have, you know, by me coming in and working in the industry, I've had those connections that I can now call on when I want to do stuff that would have been impossible for me to do had I just tried to, you know, get a nine to five job outside of the industry and just make my own projects on the side and hope that one of them hit, you know, so that it. Make it make the system your own and get what right. you want out of it is the is, I guess, the moral of the story, because, again, you and I met you in college, yeah. and as much as what college has given me, you've given me more than my two degrees in my minor. Right, our friendship, has, way, our yeah. work, everything we've done yeah. is more of that. Because at the end of the day, my degree doesn't mean shit if somebody's sitting right next to me with the same resume. Well, and honestly, I don't. I I think when you look at, you know, just from a, a grip department or even any department in the in the industry, really, I mean, if I'm looking at someone's resume. I don't give a shit if they have a four-year degree or yeah. a six-year MFA on that resume. I'm looking at the films they've done, the projects, you know, the the time in their department, you know, kind of what they've done. I really could give two shits about that degree because it's such it's such a wide berth as far as the quality of education in the industry. So that I just don't even. I just don't even quantify it. I had people tell me as I was getting out of college, oh, you're going to college for film? Oh, you should go for business. And they weren't yep. joking. They were right. You should have gone for... And right now, if you are listening to Especially this... Especially if you want to produce or direct or write. I mean, you need... If yeah. you want to make something of your own, it's as simple as that. I mean, yeah, you're not wrong even there either. I mean, let's say you want to be a DP or a key grip or whatever. I mean, look how many of us have our own LLCs and run our work through a company and, you know, just how much business and this is kind of some of the reason why we started this podcast how much business acumen like we weren't taught in film school because that we missed out on and how ahead of the game I would have been had I had a business degree or had there been business film business classes within the curriculum 
You I'll know, tell you right I, now. I had advi- I had uh I don't remember her name, but I had um my advisor. I, I went to Florida State and um didn't get accepted to the film program. I, quite frankly, um did not deserve to be accepted, so that was fine. Um did media production and um my advisor was very adamant, no, Eng- English minor, English minor, no, hundred percent you need to get an English minor. So I listened to my advisor and I got an English minor. It has been useless. Yeah, I should have gotten at the very least a business what was minor. Her, what was her purpose for an English minor? Like, what was yeah, her pitch for weird. that? Uh, her pitch was that it will help with writing um, within the. Where she thinks you were going to be a copywriter I, within the news industry I, or something? I, look, I was. Well, I mean, Jesus. Uh, that's n- a large part of communications. 18, is like copy- 19 years old, just thinking that she's the advisor, and I just, I questioned her and her argument was very valid and then I just moved on and thinking like I'm just going to keep going down the route of media production uh I I didn't think I I literally never had one thought towards business and if she would have told me like oh if she would have given me my options or or I would have taken an extra two days to think about it or maybe just asked around I maybe would have ended with a business minor I now have a company um and several outside business opportunities beyond uh tsm and i'm just figuring it out as i go yeah um and and business degree or at the very least a business minor would have gone a hell of a long way compared to an english minor that's done nothing for me i had a teacher and uh probably one of the best teachers i had lisa rosenthal she used to write for fresh prince bel-air And she, I took a writing for situational comedy, and I think I took another writing uh, class with her as well for TV or movies. She taught me how to write for script. I could have learned that myself, to be in all honest. Now, yeah, she gave me some really good pointers. I could have read Save the Cat. I could have read all. I could have read scripts and said, "Well, I can figure this out myself." That didn't do anything for me. You know what did something for me, and it, it was pointless at the time to me, was in college we had to take Excel, PowerPoint, and Word. We mm-hmm. had to take like two weeks of each of those. And the one I blew off the most was Excel, and it's probably the one and now everybody the blows off. Yeah. Now going back, art doesn't pay the bills in Florida, unfortunately. So it's the reason why I will take a job no matter how much it is. Now I have a rate, a bottom rate at the end of the day where I'm just not going to work for 12 hours at that rate. But I work these PA jobs to pay the bills. So I said, you know what? Coordinating is one thing that happens in both the reality realm, the TV realm, the feature realm. So that's where I branched off into the art department coordination because it's pretty much the same thing. You're just a finite area. And the number one program I use the most nowadays Excel. is Excel. Yeah. And I wish I paid more attention. I find myself at times Googling the hell out of things. It's where I started saying about YouTube. We live in a day and age where you can figure out a lot of shit on the fly. One thing I love about the art department is I have to hang something one way off of a beam or I have to do something. And I will never do that again for months, years, several projects, then I'll come down to that same thing again and be like, oh, I know how to do this because I hung linoleum this one time like this. These things keep coming back and forth, but my job changes daily. It really does. Yes, I'm moving furniture. I'm bringing in the same things, but there is no rhyme and reason to the art department. The one thing I envy the grip and electric is you have carts for your C-stands, for your Apple boxes. Where the hell do you put 13 lamps or five couches? <laughs> there are no carts for these things. We have the most random boxes. My biggest problem on my days are my load-ins because they are an hour and a half to two hours of loading in furniture. Again, it's just like you came home from Marshall's, Home Goods, Walmart, yep. Target, Amazon. You've come over to us before and just been like, do you guys have like a spare cart or two? And I, I, I actually have given you... Um, the hampers. Uh, the, well, no, I, I, I always in my truck have um, have uh, a dolly or two. Yeah. And I, I know I've for um, a hand cart of, of some sort. And Andrew does as well. Um, just one of those tricks of the trade, always having something in the bed of your truck. And um, we've handed them to you and been like, just bring it back at the end of the day. I just did a shoot for somebody uh, for Meg Homes doing a restoration commercial. And the one thing I tried to teach them was, you want me to bring furniture to you? Okay. 
before I even buy that furniture, it's going to cost you $320. And they say, why do, Why is it going to cost before you even buy something? Well, how am I going to get it to you? I need a truck. I need a cargo van. I need a box truck, a 15-foot, whatever you want me to bring in furniture. Do you have a, even your pickup truck? That's not going to fit all this furniture and keep it covered and keep it safe. Yeah. So right away, I'm going to go have to drop a couple hundred dollars for a day shoot, keep in mind you, $350 to rent a truck, the gas, the mileage that's involved, all these ancillary costs that people don't re- think about. And, and that's not a one-day rental. That's that's a three-day rental because you're do, you're renting it the day before. You're doing pickup. They're paying you some sort of rate before yeah, production even starts. Yeah. And then it's production day. And then it's delivery day. Once again, you're, like you said, mileage and gas, and you're they're paying you, once again, either your full rate or a negotiated rate for the day after. Production design, just like costuming with your, with your wife, Josh, um, is not a production day only position. No. It, it is happening before and after. And especially when you are the art department coordinator in production design, you're on call 24-7, essentially. I don't care what the union says. I don't care what it says about when you're going to work, when you're not going to work. If a fire happens in the office and something happens or they're going to change a scene or this actor is going to be late, so we now need to move all this around, I need to be ready to figure this out. And 4.30 in my day is the worst time in the world because I know businesses are closing that I got to make calls to to set up. But then I also know, yeah, I've just did the nine to five of all these phone calls of the businesses open. But now I need to figure out everything on the back end as well. There's all these moving parts constantly. And it's this game of just playing and making sure you're organized. Everybody's going to have their own way of being organized. Kevin, you have your own way of running two story media and being organized of knowing what you need to do. Is it the right way of being organized? Maybe not. It works for Kevin. It, it works for me, but it may, it may, you know, someone else takes this, the, the notepad that I have or any of the, um, you know, uh, organizational methods and they fall flat on their face. Find your organizational method. And what, as long as you're getting your job done, it's the, it's clearly the right way. It's the right way. Don't any, don't let anybody tell you it's the wrong way. Listen to for advice on how to be more organized uh, or help you adjust accordingly. But at the end of the day, it's up to you on how you get your work done and the process. And a lot of my job is I have projects at deadline, just like high school, just like college. And sometimes I need to wait till last minute. And sometimes I need to prioritize. This is what's going to get done first. This is what's going to get done next. And this is my back burner because I have time to play it off. But I can't forget about that thing because that plays in two days. So. I think it's fair to say we're going to have you on for another episode at some <laughs> point. Um, we're we're uh, around the hour mark. Um, have one last question. Sure. But before we get to that question, um, how can people reach out to you and talk to you if they want to uh, to uh, collaborate, if they have um, work they want to give you, or they just have some questions? Sure. You can find me on Instagram at ZachsWittySN. So Z-A-C-H-S-W-I-T-T-Y-S-N, Zachswitty screen name. Uh, you can find me on email. Uh, Zachary, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y dot S dot Ramos, R-A-M-O-S at gmail.com. Or that's my email, Zachary S. Ramos, because there's some jerk out there named Zachary Ramos. Of course, there's somebody with my name who's a DP in this industry. Like, of course, you have to be within my industry. So, so it's really obnoxious so of trying to like come up with my email. They, they've gotten a few of your emails. Back they probably have got for, my emails sure. being like, hey, what's going on here? But yep. you can uh, right. so reach me out that Panicking because it sounds like production. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean I have to be in uh, Columbus, Georgia tomorrow? I'm, I'm in Alaska right now. Yeah. That's, that's the thing about this is be flexible. Uh, I'm 32. I don't have kids and I don't pay rent. I'm lucky enough where I was able to drop all my stuff off at my dad's house about a year and a half ago. And I've been on the road. I travel in New York City. I work local to Florida. And that's the thing I want to just put out there is I work local. People ask, are you local? They're asking, do I have to pay you a per diem? Do I have to put you up somewhere? Right. In this industry, when you don't have, when you don't live in New York, you don't live in Georgia and you don't live in LA and you need to find work. Put yourself up. Airbnbs are cheap as shit. Yeah. Uh, your car, staying in your car is cheap as shit for a night or two. If you're making $200 a day and you're working for three days, guess what? You can get an Airbnb for 60 bucks and you're still coming up with $500 plus. Yeah. Right there, that's the way to make it in this industry. To you, start. It's to a great start. start. It, it's, you yeah, have to bust your ass. The ultimate goal is to eventually get to a point to where you're in the union 
you know, they're having to put you up. They're giving you a per diem, you know, all the, they're giving Electric you pay Jesus, during travel and all Electric that. Jesus. They had to pay me travel from Florida to Columbus, Georgia, which was just in gas alone and travel was like $275. So yeah. that's a, that's a nice little penny. So it, it is nice when you can stay places, but bust your ass. No one cares and don't let them know you're not local. Yeah. They'll be more impressed with you. I, I have a contract with Raytheon and we go out to Texas a lot to do a set design for their ethical videos. And we never told them that we weren't local. They just didn't want to pay us. And guess what? The second time they found out we were not local, they paid for our travel. The third time they're going to pay for our stay. Every time they like they're going to do something. <clears throat> they just yeah. needed to meet Zach first. Yep. So... My my final question sure. is favorite movie and why? Favorite movie and why? Okay. So I've uh, well, we did we did the tell us where to find you thing really early. Yeah, because I, I just wanted to get that out of the way. I, th- I have a, I had a feeling some people okay. at, at that point were um, were already kind of wondering or maybe listening and, and on their phone. I have I have two favorite movies. It, it, it's a fifty fifty every time. Uh, I put Starship Troopers as the best sci-fi film of all time. I put that over Star Wars and all of them. And I'm a diehard Point Break fan. Uh, both of those movies are my two favorite movies. Uh, if you look at uh, Van Hoven's Starship Troopers, there, there's something about the political aspect. I'm not a political person in any sense of the word. However, I do find everything fascinating. I find it fascinating on the war of religion and the way that they did that movie of the propaganda and then... That movie scared the shit out of me when I was a child, when I saw the preview for the first time. I mean, most of our favorite movies usually come from nostalgia, and you remember this one moment Your reaction this one as a time. Kid, yeah. And I remember being in the theater, and they showing the trailer, and you seeing these insect things coming out, and then it just goes batshit crazy. And the moment I got that, I think I was like 13 or 14, my brother bought me a rated R film on VHS, and I'm like, oh shit, this is awesome. Like, oh my god, there's tits in here, there's <laughs> some dude getting killed, there's, oh my god, that that Best dude, day that dude ever. just got his head shot. Oh my god, this is fantastic! And then uh, it, it's it's surreal. It's been a few surreal years. We got to work with Kevin Smith, and then I got to work with uh, some of the cast from Starship Troopers. Actually, got to work with Patrick Modine. Patrick, yeah. that which is a uh, weird things happen in this industry that you don't uh, see sometimes. And then on the flip side. Uh, Point Break's fantastic. I don't care what you say. It's one of the best heist movies outside of Heat. Uh, Fast and the Furious ripped off the first one based off of it. Keanu Reeves at some of his finest. You have, I mean, Patrick Swayze, just perfect, just perfect in a in a self-contained entertainment. I mean, hell, Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers is in there. How can you hate it? All right. That's mm-hmm. a great, great little response. Well, um, Zach, we will definitely have you on again. That's, yeah, uh, thanks, there's, there's more than enough conversation. Um, we'll let you get a couple more uh, bad horror stories, uh, and then you can yeah, come back. Yeah, we'll here, here's the here's. I'll leave you off with this really quick, which is funny because the last two projects I've done in Georgia, uh, I got strep throat right beforehand. I have my tonsils still in because. Uh, by the way, when you're in the industry, sometimes you don't have health insurance and you're uh, not willing to pay for health insurance. But uh, every time I end up having to go to Georgia, I get strep throat. And I think it's my body telling me, don't go to Georgia and work there because these projects are going to be problematic because you're going to get strep throat and it's going to suck. Yeah, so it's it's warning you, but yet well, you listen don't to listen to yourself. So, so really listen to yourself. If you're starting to get sick before a project, don't do that project because your body knows already that this project's going to be a nightmare. And that's that's some great advice to uh, to end with. And people are going to ignore it because they're going to take the work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, brother, appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Sounds great. Thank you. If you gained any value from the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you have suggestions for guests or topics, contact us on Instagram at Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry. This show was recorded at Two Stories Media Studios in Clearwater, Florida, and produced by Two Stories Media and Greenlit Entertainment. 